0: Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this glimpse into the work of your Son. And God, what you have providentially and sovereignly kept together and provided for us this day to read about you, to know you, to hear you. And so I I pray that as we reflect and as we meditate, as we think through the things that you have said And written down for our benefit so many you know years after this passage is written um, and this event has happened would you speak to us today would you teach us would you correct us and would you encourage us help us to make the connections this morning uh, where we're not And lead us by your spirit to receive all that you have for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have to admit it's been a while since being in the chair. And, and, well, it's no longer a chair anymore. But uh, I've missed it. So I have to think that over the next uh, uh, month and a bit, I'm going to have, my heart's going to be coming through. So, uh, my heart came through in our preparation for, for this series, and of course, here at Seoul, we're doing a series in the book of Matthew, and we're going to veer off course on September 10th when we go to two gatherings, um, uh, as I'll be talking about where we're going to be going for the coming year, I'll be talking about our vision. We'll be talking about refuge, repair, rejuvenation, in essence. But here in our text this morning, we pick it up, and if you have your Bible, you can open your, your Bible to it, and... and uh, before I go any further, I want to thank, though, Jordan McClellan and Shauna Lavender and Jordan Michalski for doing a great job at preaching and the teaching role for me while I was away. And so can you please show them a round of thanks and applause? And I know Shauna's not here. And so we're going to pick it up at our text now in Matthew chapter 19. I'm going to do the whole rest of the chapter for us today. And so up to this point, are you ready? And I hope my interpreter doesn't break a knuckle because I am going to be on fire up to this point, Jesus has been doing a lot of healing. We've heard stories of healing physically, mentally, spiritually. He's also demonstrated the calming of the storm, that he has the authority over nature as well. Jesus taught on the importance of how we need to build our spiritual foundation and what we should build it on. And there's a cost also that he brings to our attention, that there's a cost to following him. And he went off and he taught many other things in the, in the last few weeks. Now, as the word is spreading about Jesus, uh, long before the days of television and the interweb, it was even before common people had the book, right? That people spread their news by what? Talking to each other. Which, as I'm preparing this life lesson, I go, so who are you talking about Jesus with? That's one of those, hmm, questions. So those who had seen the miracles of Jesus, they told others. Those who experienced forgiveness and those who experienced healing... They began to tell the story. And then those people would tell two friends, and those two people tell two friends, and that's where Fabergé got that commercial way back in the 70s. Two friends, and two friends, and two friends. And so what happens is now is that Jesus is the talk of the town, and, and he's the talk of the countryside, and the word is constantly spreading. And so as Jesus is teaching, a man comes up and throws himself at the feet of Jesus. And this story is actually recorded in more detail in Mark chapter 5. And I'm going to make a reference to that as we go through Matthew. And what we know in Mark 5 is that this religious leader is identified as a man named Jairus. And we know that, uh, uh, that many of the Jewish leaders did not follow Jesus. As a matter of fact, they were quite angry with Jesus and the things that he was teaching. Not only that, he was actually teaching against these guys. But, and, and they were so different from what they were used to. And... and you know, they were antagonistic with Jesus. But this guy, Jairus, is different. And he stands out. He doesn't stand out so much in, in Matthew, but he stands out in Mark. So Jairus went to find Jesus because he was a, had a huge problem. He had a big problem. His little girl just died. And yet, as desperate as he could be, he, his last resort is he goes and he literally throws himself at Jesus' feet as an act of humility and submission. And this is not a small act for this guy. This is not something that he does all the time. He's a proud man. was a head in his community. He's not just inviting Jesus over for coffee. He's begging him to come and heal his daughter. Jarvis went... To Jesus because he was sure that Jesus had the power over the sickness, and, and he heard about it, and he, he might have even seen it with his own eyes. We're not too sure. He didn't worry about what people were thinking or, or saying about him, even though he was a, an important guy. You know, don't you know who I am? That was Jairus. He wasn't ashamed, though, at this point to come and to ask Jesus for help. He didn't care if people were staring at him and looking. He just threw himself at Jesus' feet. And the beauty of Scripture is we see that we know that Jesus is full of compassion. And that means he feels the pain of the people. And Jesus feels every bit of pain that you feel. Think about this today, this morning, right now. We should never be afraid to bring your needs to Jesus. He longs. To help us he has the power to help when no one else can and the perfect wisdom always to do exactly what is best for you and so Jesus looks at this man who throws himself at his feet and he didn't hesitate to go with him and so now uh, uh, on his way to Jairus' house, as this whole you know, entourage is now moving, some poor woman who had been sick for years simply reaches out and touches Jesus' robe. This woman who was probably helpless and hopeless, the doctors had basically turned her away, and then she heard about Jesus, and she's thinking to herself, you know, if I can just get close to the guy, and, and just like Jairus, this woman has faith, and that focus of faith is in Jesus Christ, and she was certain that Jesus could heal her. She knew that, that he was so powerful that if I could just touch the base of that robe, I'd be healed. Two of my boys—they work at an outdoor swimming pool in the summer at Manhattan Beach Retreat Center, where our youth is going for camp today. So they're lifeguards. They're also well, one single, and it's interesting. Maybe the mother's watching on uh, live stream. On, uh, no, but you know, we get these. Hey, you know, should I send my daughters to camp? <laughs> I just said good mothers would tell their daughters to go to the free swimming and pretend to drown so that the head lifeguard would get, get to know them better. But that's, yeah, there we are. So actually our family is thinking of doing arranged marriages now. So, but again, where, where you guys are going, you're, it's in Manhattan Beach, Ninette, that area, Killarney is, is prone to fantastic thunder and lightning storms. And actually, James, our oldest, he loves to, uh, to videotape and capture. And, he's, and it, one of his f- pictures actually went up on CTV there, which was quite uh, amazing. But he, he loves it. But as lifeguards, if they hear or they see the thunder or they see lightning, you know, you know what happens, right? Everybody out of the pool, right? So everybody has to get out of the pool. And they know that if lightning hits the water, that electrical power will travel through the water and will sh- shock anybody that's touching the water. So you don't actually have to touch the lightning to be shocked. And, and touching the water is, uh, that is touched by lightning is enough to get us into some serious trouble. And, and when I'm thinking about that dynamic, this is how when the woman reached out and touched Jesus' hem of his garment, I think Jesus' power must have worked something like that. It's <laughs> just a thought. You know, his power is greater than that of lightning. He is all-knowing. He knew what was going on. By his power, the entire universe is created. All the woman had to do was to touch his clothing. And in faith, Scripture says she is healed. She could feel the relief just sort of wash over her body. I don't think we get it when we read Scripture. We do, there, there's no question that she's healed. There's no question that something happened. I think we miss it because we're, we're in this you know, simple medium. So do this with hold, hold your hands together, sort of like similar to arm wrestling, and squeeze them. You know, don't lace your fingers like this, but just squeeze your hands together and don't stop. Put pressure with me, this is, this is quite interesting. Keep squeezing until I say let go. The woman had pain and discomfort all over her body. All the time like that, like that pressure for 12 years. But as soon as she touched Jesus' clothing, Scripture says she felt relief. Now stop squeezing. Do you feel the relief flowing through your hands? Can you imagine what she felt? That's how she knew she was healed. What a joy that this woman must have felt at that moment. And, and, and it's interesting because Jesus could have just left at that and kept walking. But Jesus wanted to give her more in this story. We, he wanted to give her the peace of knowing that he was actually happy to reach out and to heal her. That she didn't have to live with her life thinking maybe that she stole that blessing, you know. And Jesus poured out his grace on her. It was almost like a big hug, so to speak. Not only did he heal her, but he also gave her peace. And one more reason Jesus made her known was to, to make it an example to everybody else that's around. Now remember, he's, he's on his way to Jairus' house, and this woman touches his robe. And I can imagine Jairus, you know, he may have thought that this woman is an interruption or, you know, a, a bad thing. Hey lady, listen, I got him. I to him first. He's mine, you know. I need him more than you. Because when we read the scripture, she caused Jesus to stop. When Jairus is thinking they need to be running back to his house. But it's interesting, Jesus doesn't see it that way at all. You know, I don't think she caught Jesus by surprise. Jesus was able to work all things together for good for those who love him. And he allowed this so-called interruption so that Jairus... And others would learn more about who he is and that Jesus would receive more glory. And I I believe that Jairus' faith would actually grow stronger. Jesus will never think of our need as an interruption to his day. I think though sometimes we approach him that way in prayer. He will never scold us for coming to him. It's actually quite the opposite. He is so pleased with you that you have the faith to trust him and bring your need to him daily. And in some cases hourly because every time you bring your needs to Jesus, you're showing that you have faith in him. Do we not see that? You trust that he has the power and the compassion to, to, uh, to help you. And that's why we go to Christ in prayer. And perhaps the bleeding woman had crossed the, their path at just the right moment. And it strengthens Jairus' faith. Because it's quite possible that Jairus is in a crisis of faith at this moment. And this is probably one more reason why Jesus makes this a public healing. He, Jairus trusted Jesus and continued walking him towards his house. Jairus has seen Jesus heal. Now he's going to see greater things. And that faith is increasing. And so when Jesus arrives at the house, the girl's already dead. The mourners are going. And it's interesting what the commentary say saying, how people mourn during this time. And they're actively weeping and wailing and, and, the, and uh Jesus shows up and says, look, there's no need to cry. And, of course, they laugh at him. And then they start mocking him. And I go, of course, you know, from a different perspective of Scripture, we know that God's ways are much higher than the ways of the people. And then, you know, they just didn't simply understand what Jesus was saying. And so what does he do? He kicks him out. Tells him, get out of here. <laughs> You know, you guys don't have faith in what, about what's, what's going on here. And they weren't even invited to enter into the home and to witness the miracle. Isn't that interesting? So these mourners, so these, in some cases people paid to cry for you, weren't even allowed to be a part of it, where I'm pretty sure Jairus and his family and whoever else was around, Jesus was. And it only takes a few words when you read, uh, and, and Mark, it only takes a few words for Jesus to raise a little girl And again, it shouldn't surprise us Because it's God's spoken word that has created the world And has given all life to it And of course, everyone is completely amazed They knew that Jesus had the power over sickness They knew that Jesus had the power over nature And, and the disciples, you know Knew that also other people that he had power over evil spirits. But now this handful of people in this house know that Jesus has the power over death. And not only is their daughter fine, but they had come face to face. And remember Jairus, as we know, is Jesus' religious ruler. He has now come face to face with the Messiah. And when people were helpless and hopeless, Jesus is the answer. And the woman came to Jesus, and Jesus brings her healing and peace. Jairus puts his trust in Jesus, and Jesus brought life where there was once death. And so in the kingdom of God, suffering ends, hearts are mended, new life takes the place of death. And so the question is, is that when I'm reading this, I have to ask myself the question is, do I have the faith as these two did? And I think that's always the big question. Do we trust that Jesus' way is always the right way? When you're faced with a difficult problem, do you bring it to Jesus? Many of us don't. It's all, he's often our last resort, not our first response. You know, do we walk with Jesus wherever he asks us to go? Do we trust in God's perfect timing, his perfect timing, not ours? And sometimes he allows delays so that we can learn more about him. And then he receives more glory and our faith grows stronger. And if you don't think that you have this kind of faith, then maybe sometimes we just need to ask God for some strong faith. Because as we read scripture, we see faith as a free gift that is given by our heavenly dad. He will gladly give us faith if we just ask. Healing takes place. Girls raised from the dead. The place must be going bananas. Now Jesus, I think he's getting tired, right? So he leaves this house and what happens? And I love the way this scripture is worded and you need to look at what's being said here. He's being followed by two blind men. Like, don't you see the humor in Scripture? It's beautiful, and it's it, there's even more that's in here that when we just look at it and go by, it, we don't see it. And they're shouting, "Son of David, have mercy!" So you got blind guys shouting because there's nothing wrong with their vocal cords. And and Scripture says, "Okay, so he's following Jesus, and they go right into the house where Jesus is going. So their ears are really keen. They're focusing on Jesus's footsteps, or they're you know." We smell the disciples, just follow them. And they're going, their senses are high. The irony here is beautiful. These blind men, they follow Jesus. But here's the biggest part is, they recognize him as the son of David. We look at that, maybe we're scripturally ignorant, and that's fine. It's critical in this passage. That term, son of David, is reference for the Messiah. They're calling him the Messiah. the, The Savior. And notice their perseverance. You know, they... If we understand first century homes, you know, some stuff is always added on into the building. It's always a series of add-ons around a central building. And often there's an inner courtyard where people come and gather. We don't know exactly where the built line men were, but the text makes it very clear that they followed Jesus. And obviously they followed him away from the crowds and the public streets into a private area. And, uh, and I have to wonder, was Jesus, because, you know, they're yelling, son of David, and I'm wondering, you know, is Jesus getting a little uptight, because we'll see in a few minutes, and he waits for them, and he brings them indoors, maybe to test their faith a little bit further, and the crowds are calming down, but now he has a one-on-one with these blind guys, and he sits down with them, and he, sa- and he asks them, scripture says he asks them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Okay you know, a whole bunch of stuff has just happened and, and now we, you just touched this old lady and you just <laughs> raised <laughs> a girl from the dead and he's not trying to make it difficult for them but rather he, he often gave them the opportunity to pour out their heart, to express their full faith, to show their earnestness before he answered and when he questioned them here indoors, of course, what did they say? They said, yes, Lord. And Jesus touches them, and according to your faith, it will be done to you. It's interesting. This doesn't mean that the amount of healing depends on the amount of faith. Let's get that clear. Rather, it means simply that because they had faith that they would receive their sight, Jesus granted that. And so because of their steadfast faith, their sight is restored and and again this narrative comes across as very straightforward it records a cry to Jesus for help his healing and it closes with Jesus instructing them not to tell anybody like why would he do that like what's going on what makes it different than anything else that we just saw and the message is that Jesus clearly has the power and the authority to give sight to the blind but he requires that they believe in the one who can do it because satan believes in god as well the demons believe And tremble, but neither Satan nor the demons believe God. And here's the difference faith is not believing in God, but believing God. Many people, you can talk, oh, I believe in God. Yeah, but do you believe God? Do you read the scriptures? Do you take it? Believing God is living faith, and, and living faith is be living and not mere believing, acting it out. When we look in the scriptures, we see that blindness is also symbolic of spiritual ignorance. Just as sight was symbolic of, of, of understanding. And so Jesus has been doing these miracles. These blind men believe that he is the one. This is the crazy part. He is the Messiah. That is why they're calling him son of David. And they plead mercy from him. And this is why Jesus tells them not to say anything yet. They get it. They know who he is. They recognize it. The scriptures come clear to them in their blindness. Interesting, yeah? He's still building up. Jesus is still building up to who he is. He's revealing himself. This is all a process. But in the proper way, the Messiah needs to be understood. Jesus knows that. The crowds are enthusiastically following him for the healing, right? Because he's healing people left, right, and center. He's giving away free food like Chick-fil-A when we were in the States. Stuff like that. (laughs) But his mission... As we read in Matthew, is first to deal with the problem of sin. And that would not come through being put on a throne, right, and be called king, but through sacrificial death and resurrection. And so Jesus is trying to avoid this premature king movement. He's got a plan. He knows what he has to do. He's focused on what the Lord's will is for his life. But the story doesn't stop because these guys get healed. And what happens next? The demon-possessed man is brought to him. The demon-possessed man is forced to be mute. That means he can't speak. And Matthew, it's interesting because Matthew just blows by it like it's nothing. He says, and Jesus healed him. Like, no big deal. That just happened. But Matthew records that the crowds were astonished at what they saw. The people were in awe of what they saw. They said, you know, nothing like this has ever happened in Israel. They just couldn't believe it. And it blew their minds. It it, it was a common response of the crowds to Jesus. And if you follow his ministry in the Bible, people are often left speechless. In awe. And of course the religious leaders were in the crowd and they were watching as well and they began to hear these conversations trickling out through the crowd and they became threatened by Jesus' popularity because he, he had all the po- They thought they had the power but Jesus was getting the power. He was demonstrating the power and they thought they had to do something with Jesus and their fear and their envy and, uh, started to rise and they began to turn towards the crowd and, and they accused Jesus that, you know, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. In other words, he's possessed. That's the only way he's doing this stuff. You know, the stuff that you're marveling at, people, it's actually satanic, it's uh, demonic. And it's so sad. We even see it in our culture today. When God is moving, and God is moving in the church, many times it's other church leaders, right? Who start speaking against the movement of God. We need to be careful of that. And it's so sad because Jesus was actually doing his healings, which was the exact opposite of what they were telling the people. He was doing what the leaders should have been doing if they were following the God of Israel properly. Instead of taking glory for themselves and taking money for themselves and taking position for themselves, they should have been serving the people and ministering to the people. They should have been doing that all along, but no, Jesus had to show up on the scene. He had to turn the religious system upside down And now the irony happens as Jesus travels. Now again, it's the religious leaders, right? Oh, he's doing this from demons. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues, (laughs) going into their backyard, and announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. And so Matthew is summarizing what you've just read, if If you're reading his gospel in entirety, that's Matthew's gospel right there. And he's saying, listen, Jesus isn't in league with demons. He's actually showing us the way forward. And then there comes this this pivotal moment in the passage. And don't underestimate what's being said here. Because you have these scenes happening up to this point where there's this personal glimpse of Jesus. And scripture says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused, and they were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. And it's interesting, because as I read this passage, or maybe you do too, something stands out to us. And I actually think it's something that has been flipped at us from our culture, because in our culture, let's be honest, we're all trained to see the negative, Right? The negative always comes first. And so what's the negative in this verse? Anybody? Yeah, the absence of workers. That's what we see. But I think we need to ask a deeper question, and the question is why? Why? You know, why is there an absence? Why do many people sort of stay out of the harvest? And, and, you know, maybe the first reason is the absence of workers is because of fear, right? The fear of failure, with fear of rejection, maybe the fear of persecution, uh, or, or of the responsibility, uh, or I should say maybe the next one is ignorance. And, and ignorance of the need, right? Or, or the responsibility, or ignorance of the scriptures, you know. Ignorance of how I... I don't know how to share my, my faith. Or maybe it's, we're busy, right? We have an absence of workers because we're busy, 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 busy. Oh yes, we're so busy. Do not say that to me this year. With too many non-essential activities, right? So what do we do? We try to burn the candle at both ends, or we're trying to keep up with the joints because we're busy. We're bu- that's not a good thing. If you have to tell people you're busy, that's not cool. That's not a badge of honor. Maybe it's because we're self-indulgent, right? That's more of our culture. You know, this isn't convenient, or I'm not comfortable with sharing my faith, or, you know, it's too difficult. So you know what? We end up believing. You know what? We, we end up believing fibs. We end up believing lies. You with me? We would do well to remember that every heart with Christ is a missionary, and every heart without Christ is a mission field. That's what we need to look at. So on the night before he goes to the cross, and... Uh, Young people, I get to teach one of your your morning sessions this next week. I'm so excited. We're going to have some fun. But listen to this. Jesus goes and he washes his disciples' feet. And John tells us that Jesus sat down and he said, after he washed your feet, he says, do you know what I've done for you? And he he said, well, you call me teacher, you call me Lord, and you say, well, you know, so far I am... uh, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Sounds like camp, right? He goes on to say, For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. So there's a whole lot of theological stuff that's going to be unpacked this week with our teens in that statement. Because a few moments later, Jesus then says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another and by all this we'll know that you are my disciples and that you have a love for one another so God wants us as as we see in Jesus to do what Jesus did and God wants us to love like Jesus loved and God wants us to live like Jesus lived this means that we need to see what Jesus sees and what does Jesus see he sees a harvest Field. He saw the multitudes, but what did he really see? He did not see grain, even though our farmers are going, yes. What did he see? He saw hurting people who needed help, people who needed him. He saw people who were confused and helpless. And Jesus saw beyond the physical brokenness to the deeper tragedy of lives lived without any spiritual purpose or direction. And because of their spiritual condition, he felt compassion for them. Because he said they lacked godly shepherding. That verb to have compassion suggests a strong emotion from the gut. Almost like it makes you sick to feel deep sympathy. And there were many occasions when Jesus' compassion was manifested. That he was physically moved by stomach wrenching empathy for the plight of people. And so when he's telling his disciples and he's looking out, he's saying the harvest is there, but he's saying it with a bellyache. Look at the sheep is the word he uses to describe them. The image of helplessness. You know, they're easily confused. They tend to get lost. They don't have fangs or claws or powerful muscles. They have no weapons for self-defense. And they need a shepherd for protection. We're all sheeple. We're all dumb animals, so to speak, right? And God sees people, and this is, he looks out and he sees confused and defenseless people in a state of spiritual oppression in need of being brought into the fold of the good shepherd. And he saw, Jesus saw that the people were helpless and harassed, right? That there were people in positions of leadership, powerful political leaders, capable military leaders, all kinds of astute religious leaders. And Jesus was saying that the people are like sheep without a shepherd. Why? They are like sheep without a shepherd because they had no spiritual leadership. There were no shepherds there who are helping them develop their spiritual life. You know, that word harassed means has this meaning to trouble, to distress, to plunder, to vex. And it has this habitual connotation to it. This helpless, when he describes that, means to be thrown down and cast down. You know, the the thoroughness of the oppression and its persistent effect on people. These people were completely... And perpetually discouraged. And they're weak and they're exhausted because they've not been fed. They're not knowing where to go to satisfy their their inner need. Having no shepherd to feed or teach the truth to lead them in the way of everlasting. And Jesus sees that. And they're helpless. They're wandering. There's no spiritual guidance. Why? Because in our culture, we just make our sport of our own spirituality. Take a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's almost, you know, just this is what we do. And the religious leaders who should have been as shepherds weren't doing their jobs. Because a shepherd feeds, a shepherd comforts, a shepherd heals, a shepherd guides, a shepherd protects his sheep. And religious leaders were harassing and taking advantage of people and spiritually abandoning their sheep and leaving them harassed and helpless. And so Jesus sees the spiritual dimension of people and he's moved with compassion for them. He's physically moved by stomach-wrenching empathy for the spiritual plight of people. So now that I've described that for you, hear the cry of Jesus when he says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Notice the change that true compassion brings. Jesus' compassion causes him to want to do something about the need. And Jesus saw people as a great harvest. And a great harvest, when you think about it, is men and women and children of every age and every nation. And these people are the most important fruit of the earth. And somebody is eventually going to have to reap this harvest. And what we notice from Jesus is that compassion moves us into action. And Jesus couldn't be a spectator, but he set out to establish what? A missionary force to bring help. The motivating force behind Christ's work is compassion. He seeks to develop a similar compassion in his followers. And if you identify as a Christian today, this is for you and for me. He's saying the harvest is plentiful. I don't think we understand in our culture today what that means. When Jesus is saying the harvest is plentiful, he's not talking about just Numbers. He's talking about spiritual uh, receptivity. The harvest is plentiful means that there are people who want to hear what you have to say. Thank you. Wow. There are people who want to hear. They're receptive to what you have to say. The world, listen to me, is not, we don't circle the wagons in the church. The world is full of winnable people. We just need to go into the field. And the main point is that much work needs to be done, and, but there's not a whole lot of us who are willing to do the work. Why? Because harvesting, yes, it's hard work. I follow Will Bergman on Instagram. He's always on the combine. He's always doing this. He's always doing that. He's always working. It's hard work, especially if the harvest is large and the harvesters are few. So the supply of the disciples or worker in the harvest is now dis- deficient, according to Jesus. So what does he do? Do you see the command? We love Jesus when he gives us commands, right? But this is the one that I think most Christians break. Because he says, so, here's the command, pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest, and ask him to send more workers in his field. Oh, Jesus, I just do that all the time. Yeah, okay, Jesus is telling us to pray. Cool, I get it. You and I do that as well. Oh God, send somebody into the harvest. Oh God, send somebody overseas. Please don't send me to Africa, but send somebody else, right? No offense to my brothers and sisters. But that's just the way it is. We don't want to go. We don't even want to go next door. We don't even want to go down the street. We don't want to go in our neighborhood. God, send somebody to the harvest. Please don't send me. And that becomes the focus of our prayers when we pray this passage. But I have to say, again, Jesus has more in mind that I think we blow over. When you think about it, God gives us an extraordinary prayer request right here. Prayer is the starting point for workers in our effectiveness. If we need to be effective, we need to start with prayer. The key to the mission of the church lies in the hand of God. And that key is, uh, is prayer. It's not the work that we do. It's the prayer that we build the foundation on. The key to the mission of the church is not the key of wisdom. It's not the key of understanding. It's not even the key of evangelism. It's the key to prayer. Jesus says to us as believers, pray. Pray. Do we truly see the spiritual condition of the people around us daily? Do we have compassion for lost souls? How strongly have we been moved by compassion? Have you prayed for workers to be sent out for their rescue? How regularly have you prayed this request? But here is the twist. Those who genuinely and regularly pray for workers find themselves also being thrust out into the harvest. And so prayer always has to precede any activity. Efforts not grounded in compassion and complete submission to God's mission are, are basically doomed to fail. If we just do our own plans, that's it. But when we care enough to pray, we will be empowered by the Spirit to start working, to start witnessing, to start giving and making it happen. And what we need to learn here is that we need to be attentive to the people that God has placed all around us wherever we find ourselves. That Jesus, he's sitting around, he's looking at the crowds. And I think sometimes we need to take time to look at the people we meet. My wife is always big on this and, and teaching this to our kids. You know, when you shake somebody's hand, look them in the eye. What's, what's our culture, right? We look past people all the time. I find myself, I'm guilty of this. I find it very uncomfortable for me when I'm talking to people one-on-one to always stare them in the eye. Why? Because it's like creepy pastors looking like deep into my soul. <laughs> but that's just what it is. You know, often we're in a hurry, we forget why we're here. And yet Jesus saw people and he took time and he had compassion for them. And it's many times when you think about it, when we start to look upon the people God puts in front of us, then God begins to speak to us. And when God begins to speak to us, we lift our eyes off our own situations. And we begin to see other people's lives And others, people's helplessness. And maybe God is just saying, hey, dude, why don't you just step into their life and extend them a hand? And so compassion is not just a feeling that we sit there, but it involves action. And many times when we see something, for example, we may be experiencing a feeling or two, but move on with our life, Jesus' compassion made him do something. And so what does he do? He invites his disciples into it in essence that's what Jesus is saying to the crowds you know the crowds are there they're in his mind they're eager for God's kingdom they're eager to know what God is doing but they didn't know where to find it they're out there they're receptive they're waiting and they're ready for God to act in their life but they have no one to tell them that the action has already begun in life then teaching and miracles and so Jesus's strategy here and see this was to get those 12 people that followed him around the disciples started In some circles, you know, the talking strategy is, you know, while it's unspiritual. Instead, you know, the goal was not to get too concerned with strategy and just try, try try to keep everybody happy or to pray about things and maybe they'll just get better. The best prayer here now is rooted in action. Praying about forgiveness when you're unwilling to forgive is really pointless, people. Praying for your church if you're unwilling to act on it doesn't make any sense either. If we believe God is the author of our hearts, our minds, our soul, our strength, and gifts, then we should be willing to lend all of the above for the further of the mission. You know, what's so helpful here is interesting, because Jesus often tells us to pray. But he often doesn't tell us exactly what to pray for outside of the Lord's Prayer. Now, if you think about that, that's a modeling prayer, right? The Lord's Prayer. There's an exhortation to prayer, but rarely is there Jesus saying, This is specifically what I want you to pray for. We don't really see that in the scriptures at all. He gets specific here. This is the beauty of it. He looks out over the crowds and he tells his disciples what he's seeing, and they should be seeing the same thing if they want to be his followers. And then he says, well, this is what you, you should do is, is lead us to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. We need to pray to the Lord of the harvest. And look, if you flip over to chapter 10, this is pretty interesting. Chapter 10, verse 1. It's one of the areas where I don't think it's easy to see the chapter breakdown. Sometimes it, it actually hinders us in the reading of the whole story. But in, in, in the first verse of chapter 10, he says, and he called them to... And he called to him, his 12 disciples, he gave them the authority over the unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and affliction. And he booted them out. Calls them around, says, look, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Oh, hey, by the way, go, it's you guys. After he tells his disciples what he sees and how to respond to what he sees by persistent prayer, he equips them and he sends them out into the harvest to become the answers to their own prayers. Isn't that awesome? The task of the church is to take this message to a world that is blinded by the evil one, by the deceiver. And the people the, people the church reaches out to may be in our culture today educated, brilliant, clever, even concerned with moral and ethical matters. But if they don't believe in christ jesus as the son of god the lord of glory the savior of the world they are what scripture says spiritually blind think about this when we see the world our neighbors the hopeless the marginalized in our world especially those who are hurting when we see them through god's eyes it fills us with a gut level compassion that drives us to persistent prayer and if we really see if we're really following after jesus learning from him and saying Teach me to see how you see. Teach me to see this world how you see it. Because, Jesus, here's how I see it. My view is very myopic. I just see, really, what's in front of me. And Jesus knows that that our weakness, that's just who we are. I don't have faith. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. You listen, that's all okay. He's always lifting our heads. He's always lifting our heads up to help see as, you know, and we begin to see as he sees. When it really connects with us, it leads us to gut-level compassion. And I see that. I've seen that with our community many times in many different areas. And Jesus got punched in the gut when he saw the crowd. And the same thing should be happening to us. It drives us not to hopelessness, but to hopefulness. And it exerts itself, it manifests itself in persistent, ongoing, kingdom-orientated prayer. This is what this chapter is talking about. This is why we pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is why we pray that this gospel, this kingdom would go to all the nations. This is why we pray that this gospel, this kingdom would continually be made visible in Winnipeg and beyond. So this morning I, I look upon the sheep. And Jesus does the same thing. He looks out upon the people in the crowd. And I don't have to be a prophet to know this. I'll just say this offhand. Just pastor people. And you'll figure this out soon enough. enough. People are messed and missing something. But we're so broken, and in our brokenness, we hold on to our hurts and our wounds and everything else that we're so afraid to release it and to turn it over to God. And so we make bad choices and we mess up our lives and we make bad decisions and there's this cause and effect in this broken world and we get mad at God and it's always God's fault. But really, we've never come face to face with the living God and asked Him to surrender our heart and take full control of our life. And we live a cultural Christianity. We want Jesus light. Like light beer, you've got light Jesus. Has no real effect and no taste. in view of the Irish pavilion, Jesus, I think, drank Guinness. (laughs) (laughs) You know, some of you come battered. You come bruised. Some of you, you, you walk in here, and you're torn eternally, and you're discouraged. Life sucks. Some of you are hopeless. The joy of your life has just been sucked right out of you. And, and whether because that's of your circumstances, whether that's because of your sin, or, or maybe a sin that's been done against you, that's really just how you feel. That's just how you feel. You feel hopeless. You feel helpless. You feel like you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. You feel like a sheep without a shepherd. And what's so beautiful about the passage this morning is that's part of what you can hear this morning as you read about this account in Jesus' life, that God, listen, God sees you. If you're here, (laughs) because some of you are, some check out, but. That's why some of you have come to church to gather. Because you don't know where to go. Maybe you saw this place or you knew somebody who came to Soul every now and again. Again, I'm hearing stories of people who are watching us online for one year to three years before they even walk into the doors of the church, the community. Let me say it this way. I honestly believe that each and every one of us sitting in these seats, God brought you here to tell you that he sees you and he loves you and he knows you're broken down and he knows you're helpless. And he knows you don't have a shepherd and he says, Hey, I am the shepherd. And he wants to bind you up, and he wants to care for you, and I don't have any idea of what that looks like for many of you. But I just want to invite you to see that the way Jesus—that's the way Jesus felt about the crowd—that we can be confident if that if you're there, he feels about you the same way this morning that he loves you, whether you're here sitting or you're watching on live stream. I have to also say this: others of you may be here, and you're the predator. Maybe you come here and you've been the one tearing people down. You're the joy sucker. You know those people? You suck the joy out of people, your friends, your spouse. You've been preying on people emotionally or verbally, maybe even physically. And this is a rebuke to you, but also an invitation that there's grace as well. And that is really, really good news. You're, you're watching Jesus' life. You're seeing his heart as Matthew begins to describe it. You're getting a glimpse of his heart for us, and it's really compelling to see what God feels and thinks. And I want all of us to take some time this morning and move to a time of corporate prayer. If you're our guest here this morning, you're going, "Oh, dude, we just gonna make it." Don't worry. We sacrifice cats afterwards. That that, that happens afterwards. No, we're open to the Christian community. And we're here and we're called to prayer. Prayer is our number one focus. We do it every time we gather. Why? Because people need it. People want it. This is what Jesus is telling us to do. Pray that the Lord sends workers. Also that we're to bring our needs to him all the time. There are many who walked in this morning. You're carrying the weight of the world. You're feeling hopeless, helpless. Maybe you're needing peace. You're needing an answer. You're needing some sort of miracle of sorts. Maybe you are emotionally done. Maybe you are mentally drained. Maybe you are spiritually dead. Maybe you... But amidst all that you physically smile, right? This morning we want to stand with you in prayer. Maybe you need forgiveness. Maybe you're here, you're exploring who Jesus is. Maybe you've wondered, you know, about the religious expectations are. And I I hope that you've began to hear Jesus calling not for religion but for a response from you. Ask God to speak to you. Maybe he already is. Ask him to reveal himself to you, to make Jesus known to you. Maybe you're here and you're just going, "I, I know, I need Jesus. You know, I've been in the church all my life but I've never committed to him. I need to commit. Maybe the way that you've been living hasn't, your life hasn't been working for you and you want to commit your life to Christ. I'll just say this, that God is able to transform your life that f- goes from meaningless and without purpose to a life that is directed with a purpose and a productive service that has an eternal effect, not only in your life, but everybody else that you'll come in contact, contact with. So what's going on in our hearts this morning, church? Church? What's God calling us to do? Is he calling us to repent? Is he calling us, you know, maybe some of us have already answered that call. Maybe we need to turn our life around. Maybe we really need to make this commitment to make Jesus Lord of our lives. And I just really feel in my heart this morning to be very pointed. I don't care how long you've been coming to Seoul. I don't care how long you've been in the church. I don't care if you were born baptized, bread in a church, but you know between you and God that you have not made him the Lord of your life. Will you pray with me this morning? If you're ready to make that step, and maybe you're on the opposite end. This is your first time you're hearing about all this Jesus stuff, but you want to make him Lord of your life. Will you pray with me this morning? And I Ask everybody to bow their heads. And if that's you, and you're here in this group of people, just put your hand up and down real quick. One, two, yeah. Anybody else? I'm, I'm talking, this is not, hey, I, I just want, you know, to be a Jesus fall. I'm talking making Jesus Lord of your life. What you've been doing up to this point in your life hasn't been working. Hasn't been working. Why? Because you're not submitted to him as Lord and Savior. Anybody else? Yeah. You can put your hand up. Pray this prayer in your heart, Lord Jesus. I just recognize you as my Lord and Savior. I'm sorry for the things in my life that have displeased you. And thank you for coming to earth to die in my place and to take away my sin. and I believe in you, and I receive you into my life. Now be Lord of my life. Thank you for making me a child of God. Help me to rely on you in the days to come. Help me to follow you so I can grow to become like you. In your name, amen. If you've prayed that, Tell us before you leave. I'm not going to hunt you down. This is all about you. We have a little welcome card. You just fill it out. Put it on the back. And uh, Jordan McClellan will contact you, connect with you. You know, if you're our guests here today and you want to get connected further, do the same. Fill it out. Hand it on the welcome desk as you're walking out. We want to be there for you. Josh, if your team could come in a few minutes. Our prayer team is going to make their way to the crosses on either side. And this is what I'm asking all of us to do. And I think it actually requires an element of faith in all of our part because every time you bring your needs to Jesus, you're showing that you have faith in Him. And there are many needs here today. And you trust that He has the power and the compassion to help you when you move in that direction. The worship team is going to lead us in worship, and the prayer team is going to be moving to the crosses as I speak right now. And I want to invite all of us here who have... First of all, I invite those who have raised their hands for prayer um, to be the Lord of your life. to make your, make your way to the cross at some point today and, and uh, <clears throat> let some ministry begin for you. Tell the person why you've come to the front. Maybe you want to wait and talk to one of the pastors. That's fine. Tell one of the pastors and then let them pray for you. Uh, the other thing that you can do at the cross if you're a guest is that we have a table and, and a chair and you can write your requests. And you can write them and put them onto the cross. And what we end up doing is we take those and we pray over them every week. We do this religiously every week. And it's interesting because we've made comments even this last one, uh, Thursday. The, the, um, the, the same requests that keep coming in. And you know who your family is in the east. We keep praying for you. And you put those names down. We pray for you. We're praying for your names. And all the other requests that comes in. We're praying for you. So we as a staff are doing our part. We're asking you as a church team to do your part. And let's do it together. Do you have a need today? Move to the cross. Tell people your name, tell them your need. You uh, need to, you prayed that prayer with me just earlier. Just move to the cross, tell people your name, tell them what you did. We wanna celebrate with you. We have people here who are struggling with cancer. Their mates are struggling with cancer. We're here to pray for you. We believe in healing without question. We believe in miracles without question. And we believe that God can do the crazy things. Again, I believe, but Lord help my unbelief, right? Nothing matters more than the cross of Jesus Christ. So, I challenge you, church. In the midst of your own brokenness, your own pain, your own little worlds, and what you find yourselves in, I challenge you to use nine easy words. Would you like to go to church with me? And I want to challenge you that this fall, You would invite more people to be here, that you would invite people to be a part of your life group. That you would invite people to be in your home, that you would invite people out for coffee, that you would invite people out for dinner, that you would go across the street, or as some of you are doing here at Seoul, um, going door to door. I would invite for some of you even here at Seoul to go across the ocean And to help with God's harvest. Do everything you can to show God's love to children and to to God's children and to lead them to Jesus. That is my charge to you, church, to give whatever you can to help the cause of Christ because that's what matters. Find ways to work in the harvest that is all around us. Just begin to talk. Because God wants us to live like Jesus. God wants us to love like Jesus. He wants us to see what Jesus sees. He wants us to feel what Jesus feels. And he wants us to pray like Jesus prayed. So be encouraged this morning, church. Be encouraged that God is here and he is with you when you are gone. And I've missed this. I've missed this for weeks. But in ancient times, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing. Those receiving a blessing will do likewise. God of power, may the boldness of your spirit just transform us. May the gentleness of your spirit lead us. May the gifts of your spirit equip us to serve and worship you both now and always. Soul sanctuary. Go now in peace and live the church. Be blessed. We'll see you next week.